Welcome to the Kick Pod, your weekly denim on the stuff that matters. Hello, Lawsy. Hello. I sound like I can't even. Low. Speak low. Sorry. Hello. This Lawsy sick. Yeah, I have sinusitis. So I'm forcing her to go home <laughs> after this podcast. But um, I'll, I'll try and talk. I'll do all your talking for you. I'll ask you some you. questions. Okay, sure. How are you? I'm great. I'm actually really good. I had a really, really restful weekend off. My favourite yeah. was your weird messages that I loved that um, you were sending me about <laughs> my Sims family. <laughs> yeah, so I had a lot of downtime this this weekend. Um, we both needed a weekend off, so it was really nice to have no plans. But Josh was also away, so that meant that I could literally watch whatever I wanted, get up when I wanted, exercise when I wanted, eat when I wanted, and that also included playing a lot of Sims. And I did become very obsessed. I made my family and Laura's family, and, yeah, I may have messaged her quite a few times over the weekend <laughs> making sure I was naming her babies the right thing. <laughs> And our houses are connected. Yeah, we're, we've got our own little block and our backyards. <laughs> they, they, um, yeah, they go into each other. So we've made sure. I mean, imagine <laughs> if it actually comes true. Imagine if one day we're on a block together. I'm going to have a little girl and then I'm going to have a set of twins. That's, talk about the twins. Okay, so there's a very high chance that Josh and I, when we do have kids in future, are going to have twins. It's just apparently genetically, if your parents uh, are a set of twins, it can skip a generation and then you're likely to. Well, my mum, my dad and his dad are all twins. So we've got a pretty high chance of having them. That would. I, what if, you, what if mm. you have two sets of twins? Quite possible. Are you happy with that? I don't know. I reckon if I had a boy and a girl and a set of twins as my first pregnancy, I'd almost stop there. Mm. Yeah. Maybe you might have five sets. <laughs> no, I don't think like we got a basketball team. <laughs> That's your dream, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, how was your time on the tour? Wait, mm. I'll say that again. How was your time on the tour? Okay, so what she's trying to uh, initiate is a conversation <laughs> about our tour. So last week we were in Perth and we had our first workout for the tour and it was so, so good. Everyone was so amazing and awesome. Mm. Honestly, meeting you guys in person is the best part. I know we say that all the time, but it really is. It was so special. Yeah. And I mean, massive props to our team, particularly Kat for, for putting this workout um, tour together. It's been incredible and she's killed it. Yeah. Um, we've got, Ad- no, we've got New Zealand, Auckland. New Zealand Auckland. had Melbourne this week, which is so exciting. Very exciting. Um, so Auckland girls and Melbourne girls get ready. It's a good fun workout. It's going to be, yeah, well, it was so much fun in Perth and it'll be, I'm just, it's so awesome we get to do it all around. Mm. I can't believe it's here though. Like, I, I feel know. like we've been planning How this all year. So we were literally, before we went out into the Perth, because we kind of stayed behind and before we went out onto the stage, I literally had, but I've never had butterflies. Yeah. I had them like from my toes to my head. I was like, oh my God, I'm so nervous. Yeah. And yours came on super early. So like when we were hiding back in the Not kitchen. Early, like five minutes. No, no, no. Before, but when we were hiding back in the kitchen, you were like, I'm really nervous. And I was like, nah, nah, I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm not nervous. And then as soon as it came to like actually walking out the door onto stage, I was like, okay, and now I'm nervous. I'm really nervous. But it went really well. And we wanted to do this thing, which Steph did. Oh, okay. So we kind of figured, we were like, hang on, there's music playing. And then all of a sudden we're just going to run out the door. We probably should have like planned, I don't know, maybe someone on stage pumping it up or something. So I made sure that our mics were on like the moment before we opened the door. And so I just randomly said like, who's ready to kick it? And I think that wasn't quite enough to pump them up because I think that was just kind of like, where's that um, voice come from? <laughs> where's Steph's voice coming from? But it was great. I was nervous. I was going to treat, and I didn't, thank God. Yeah. 
yeah, that run out there. Yeah. I, I just looked forward. I couldn't, I couldn't even look at the girls. I was like, okay, just get to the stage. Get to the stage. It was so good. Yeah. So this week's podcast, we're super excited. Yes. Um, we've been holding on to this one and we know you guys are going to love it. I loved it. Um, we love Marika for how she... She's kind of like a little myth buster in the health space. Yeah. And we know that everyone is so obsessed with knowing more about their gut. And there is so much unknown still mm. in the gut health space. But we really loved this chat and think you guys are going to learn a lot from it. Um, and yeah, can't thank Marika again enough for being a part of our team, but also coming on the podcast once again. And um, do you want to say anything? I know. Hopefully I'll be back next week. And you know what I yeah. hate the most <laughs> about my voice right now is usually when you're husky, you sound sexy. Yeah, I hate to break it to you. You don't sound sexy. Uh, I hate to break it to you. <laughs> well, I hate to break it to you. Next week, I'm going to be back and I'm going to be like, call me. Okay. A really sexy voice. No. <laughs> okay, I hope I have half a husk next week. Okay, bye. Okay, bye, guys. Welcome back, Marika. Thank you. <laughs> We're actually recording on this on the same day as the last one, so that was a bit of an awkward welcome back, but anyway. Why would you lie to people, Steph? I'm telling them the truth. But you lied at the start. Uh, well, well, welcome back. We'd, we to, we yeah. walked out and we came back in. <laughs> you went to the bathroom. <laughs> You're back in the room now. Okay. Um, today we are talking about gut health. Because gut health. It's... Okay. <laughs> Laura, you're going to make me want to start this podcast We're again. We're sharing a mic. Yes, we are. Um, see, move my face is forward. Don't come forward with me. <laughs> okay, let me let me chat. Um, talking about gut health because it's something that has come up a lot, um, and I know that it's a space that isn't quite completely worked out yet. I don't know whether it always. I mean, if it's always going to be that way, or maybe one day we'll figure it all out. Um, but there is so many different things out there, information out there of what's good and what's bad. And we got so many of you guys sending in questions from Marika about gut health in particular, which it was it was kind of like obvious that it wasn't just something we wanted to talk about. It was something everyone wants to listen about because it's spoken about so much. Yeah. Whether it's true or, I mean, correct, the information they're hearing, we'll probably get to that today. But just to start off with, what is a healthy gut? Like what classifies a healthy gut? Yeah, I think that's a, such a great question to start with because it starts with the confusion as well yeah. it? because there's so much variety in terms of what is a healthy gut. And to be honest, we actually don't know like on the... So I guess like if we start back at the microbiome, so the mm. microbiome is the community of bacteria that we have within our gut, so beneficial bacteria within our um, large bowel mostly. Um what we know is that the microbiome does have, you know, effects across the whole body. So in terms of like our, um, not only our bowel health, but like our health in terms of our immunity and our inflammation across our body. Um, what we know in terms of that and in terms of a healthy microbiome is that a diverse microbiome is a good one. But aside from that, we actually don't know mm. what a healthy microbiome looks like. So, you know, we sort of don't know, you know, you need to have this amount of this type of bacteria and none of this type of bacteria. They don't actually have this sort of um, blueprint of what a healthy gut or a healthy microbiome looks like in that sense. Um, and I think that's a, a really good point to start with because there is a lot of people out there who will tell you, you know, you need to have, you know, this sort of amount of this bacteria or whatever, or you need to take this in order to boost this when a healthy gut can be a very different from one person to the next. And in particular, um, based on your lifestyle that you live and where you live as well is going to mean that a healthy gut might look different from one person to the next. 
Um, in terms of the way you feel, though, mm. it can be a good dictator of how healthy your gut is. So, for example, the frequency of your stools, so the, <laughs> move, the amount of times you go to the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is normal with that is anything from three times per day to three times per week. So, again, really? Yeah, huge Wider variety. Range. Yeah. Mm. So you don't have to go. Everyone says, oh, no, but I don't go, you know, every single day like clockwork. You know, my boyfriend is always my boyfriend. Yeah. Goes every single morning after <laughs> after <laughs> breakfast or after coffee. And I don't go like that. So obviously my gut's not good. But provided that you're going three times per week, it can actually be normal and healthy for you to be going only three times per week. Right. So if you're going more frequently than three times per day or less frequently than three times per week, um, might be worthwhile looking into something there. Um, or if you're getting regular digestive discomfort, so you're regularly feeling really like painfully bloated or cramping mm. and excessive amounts of gas and wind. Obviously, everyone has gas and wind, mm. um, but excessive amounts is that's causing you know pain or discomfort and those sorts of things as well is another sort of dictator around your gut health. The question on that, like a lot of IBS questions came up. So there yeah. is a correlation between having digestive issues or IBS um, and gut health? Yeah, so uh, again, I would sort of separate them as well. So you could actually have a relatively healthy gut when you're thinking about like the microbiome mm-hmm. um, and still have irritable bowel syndrome. Right. Um, so it doesn't mean that you've got a you know bad microbiome or anything and that's why you have IBS. Um, IBS can come in the context of a diverse and healthy microbiome. It can still occur for a range of other reasons that a lot of we still don't know. Uh, but there is some evidence pointing towards that there is uh, less diversity in those who have IBS as well. With gut bacteria, this is very random, but I don't know if you remember, Steph, um, it might have been two years ago now, mm. I went on Insight on SBS with Michael oh, yeah, Mosley and they did a gut health test for me and before that I was so interested in it and I thought by getting my test results back I would know everything about my body. Yes. But I was so intrigued that from my results, they were so different to everyone else's and everyone else's were different. It's not like just mine was. Everyone was so different. They couldn't actually explain anything in my gut. Mm. I had this certain bacteria they hadn't seen before that um, broke something down. They were like, oh, we haven't heard of that. So there's so many bacteria they haven't heard of. I had a lot of a bacteria that breaks down um, greens because I eat a lot of greens. So, you know, (laughs) it's mine. But I was so interested. Uh, I thought uh, from social media that gut health was kind of everyone knows so much about it. But it's it's almost like we've just hit the top yeah. of it. The and it's like an iceberg. Yeah, exactly. I would say it's very much in its infancy. Is that anyone who's saying that you know this is what we need to do for gut health is making it up because we honestly do not know mm. the specifics of gut health at this point in time. So anyone who says anything with you know, real certainty aside from like fibre, which I'm sure we will get into. Um, it, it's it's really sort of drawing from minimal amount of data to try and make big sweeping statements there, which is where we just are not there. Um, but I think that's a really good point with the testing that you do because that's what I sort of say when people, you know, want to do this microbiome testing and everything like that. It's what are you actually going to get from it? Mm. Like what what's going to change at the end of the day as a result of that information? Because when it comes to like the testing, it's it's going to show you, yeah, what you have and what you don't have or anything, but we actually don't have any specific recommendations mm. to change that. Like there's nothing. So if someone came to me and said, you know, like this is what my microbiome testing showed, mm. 
I can tell them how to eat to have a diverse and healthy microbiome. And that's not going to be any different to the next person who mm. comes in and says, I want to eat, a, have a healthy and diverse microbiome because mm. we are not at that point where we can say, okay, well, you're lacking in that mm. specific bacteria. Therefore, you need this specific food. We just don't have mm. any data to show that that's what it is. We know what creates a healthy microbiome and that's across the board essentially is like this is just generalized um, health advice around creating a healthy microbiome there's nothing specific there so you know people are spending hundreds uh, i'm sure there's more expensive ones mm. than that of dollars on these tests that are showing them what they have and what they don't have but it's like well what now like what what changes so talking about that healthy gut we had a question um from angelica what makes a healthy gut besides eating fresh food and avoiding processed food and sugar? What else can be done? Um, so I suppose being general, obviously, as yep. you've just explained, everyone is different. But if someone's just generally coming to you for a bit of advice on how they could, if they believe that their gut isn't healthy, yep. how they could improve that. So one of the, um, I guess, the other big factors apart from diet that mm. play into your gut and the health of your gut is um, smoking. So smoking obviously is bad for <laughs> lots of different parts of your health, um, but particularly bad for the gut as well. Um, excessive amounts of alcohol isn't great for the gut. Um, the other thing is stress is a really big one, is that stress is quite damaging to the microbiome and to the gut lining and everything. So that's something that I think a lot of people don't take into too much consideration or they try and find a dietary fix for something that might be caused from stress and mm. not willing to address, you know, the stress side of things and the effect that that's having on them. Um, the other thing is antibiotics is a big one, is if you're taking antibiotics on a regular basis, obviously people need to take antibiotics for certain reasons mm -hmm. and that's, you know, warranted, but excessive amounts of antibiotics where they're not necessarily warranted um, can damage the microbiome. So I think first you need to understand what, Creates an unhealthy, yeah. What yeah. creates an unhealthy microbiome, um, and making sure that you are avoiding that as much as possible, or addressing those things as much as possible. Um, from a dietary perspective, then it's obviously doing the opposite of that. So looking at making sure that you are getting, you know, um, your fiber and your plants and everything like that. But aside from that, is making sure you're not using antibiotics when you don't need them. Um, that you're having alcohol in only moderate amounts. That you're not. Um, avoiding sleep and like you're not stressing out and you're taking mm. out the mindfulness and relaxation techniques and everything like that. So there is a lot of um, more holistic lifestyle things that you can do in terms of your gut health as well. Mm. I don't know whether I actually answered that question. No, you did. No, you did. That's perfect. <laughs> I was just going to touch on alcohol. I think that's something that we get asked about all the time. What do you recommend as a healthy amount of alcohol per week? So the guidelines, I'm going to start with them, is um, no more than two standard drinks per day with two alcohol-free days per week. Mm -hmm. um, so more than that is being shown to be unhealthy. Yep. Um, I still think that that's a relatively large amount um, and I would suggest that you should keep your alcohol to as minimal as you can, essentially. Mm -hmm. That's my advice is keep it, yeah very minimal. Um, don't avoid it if you don't want to. If you want to, you know, abstain from it, then that's cool as well. Mm. Um, but as minimal as possible without going beyond those guidelines of two standard drinks um, with two alcohol-free, minimum two alcohol-free nights a week. Mm. Interesting. And going on when you mentioned stress, I think there's been like a massive 
connection that's being made over your gut health and your mindfulness and, and all that sort of stuff. And people are totally finding that coloration. Co- what's the word I'm looking Correlation. for? Correlation. Correlation. <laughs> I was almost there. I just mixed a few letters up. Um, between the two. So mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about that? Because uh, people are saying, you know, happy mind, happy gut, all yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah. Is it really as simple as that? Um, it's No, it's not as simple as that. <laughs> um, it's very complex and I'll try my best to explain it in not a complex manner, but there's the gut-brain axis. So it's the communication between the brain and the gut and it's happening, you know, every a million times every second is this mm. constant feedback from the gut to the brain and the brain to the gut. And it can affect all sorts of different things. So it can affect the way that you are sort of behaving and thinking, uh, but also how you're feeling and your gut and your bowel movements and everything like that. So a really good example of the gut-brain axis and at play is like when you're nervous or anxious and you get loose stools or you get a bit of diarrhea Mm. or you get like butterflies in the stomach and that sort of nauseous, sick feeling Mm. when you're anxious or nervous. So that's a really good example of that at play or a bad example of that at play maybe. That is so funny because this is so funny but before I had an exam today and literally every time I feel so sick and I have to run to the bathroom. Yeah. So that's your Like way more than normal. Sorry, that's so gross. Uh, Well, I mean, it shouldn't be gross but that's the thing. I, I wondered why. Yeah. So, and uh, the reason why is what your body's doing is essentially putting you into like fight or flight. And when you're in fight or flight, that's like your stress response. And I think the thing with this like stress response is that it's not necessarily stress response in like what we, I mean, exams obviously pretty stressful, but some people will get this stress response from scrolling through social media or Mm. from uh, speaking to their parents or their peers or their Mm. boss or um, checking their emails. That's like the worst one for me sometimes. (laughs) I'm like, oh God. Um, But this can actually put us into that fight or flight response. And when we're in that fight or flight response, what our gut, what's happening with our gut is essentially blood flow is being directed away from the gut and to our muscles and our lungs and everything because it's getting ready for us to fight or flight. And that happens, when that happens is that firstly, like digestion shuts down completely. So if you eat in that time, you're not going to feel good. Um, But the other thing that happens is that it evacuates either end of your (laughs) (laughs) digestive tract essentially because if you're fighting or flighting, you don't want to be carrying on board, you know, things that you don't need. How funny. <laughs> so, yeah, you can get loose stools or vomiting um, when you get that sort of immediate fight or flight response. It's, it's essentially the top and bottom end of your digestive tract evacuate and then it pretty much shuts down and that, like, motility completely halts um, or at least slows down between both ends as well. There you go. That's so interesting. And I suppose there's nothing wrong with that, is there? I think sometimes we think that... We need to reduce stress in our lives, which of course we do, you know, to get less bloating and all those things. Mm. But I think the reality is that we do live quite stressful lives and you can try to reduce it. But being okay with Mm. not being totally stress-free because it's kind of, for me, I I think you would agree, Steph, and probably you as well, Marika, it's not possible. So just to be able to find ways to de-stress but know that it's probably going to be there. Yeah, and I think that stress is, it's really interesting because it's, how you perceive it as well is mm. like the whole thing. Like if like somebody can be stressed about a thing and then the other person has the exact same thing and is not stressed about it and it all comes down to like how you perceive that stress as well and that can actually like, you know, start this like gut brain or not start but, you know, um, miscom- cause that miscommunication between that gut and the brain is that it's not necessarily the actual stressor 
that's the problem. It's the way that you perceive the stressor that can be the problem. So you could have the most stressful life, but if you're just really good at managing stress Mm. and alleviating stress in that you have activities outside of so if, for example if work was your stress if you have activities outside of work that you look forward to and you um, engage in you know activities that you actually enjoy and you get pleasure from then a high stress job might be quite manageable but for somebody who maybe doesn't have the stress management strategies in place and has a really high stress job and doesn't do things that they enjoy then that same amount of stress might not be manageable for that person and the effects that then that will have on their gut will be quite different to the effects that it might have on somebody who has ways of managing the stress. So it's not necessarily about mm. removing stress, but it's about how can you manage the stress or um, like take the lid off the Coke bottle, as they say, like let it like slowly escape rather than keep it shaken up and then explode. And that's, so that was like all in the correlation of, of stress or emotion to your stomach. Is there a correlation? God, I'm going to struggle with this word. Correlation. Is, is there a connection? I'm just going to use a different one. Yeah, yeah. one. Is there a connection between your gut health and hormonal issues? Yeah, this one is still quite new mm. in that there's really not much out there at the moment. There, there is because estrogen does have a big role in the gut Mm -hmm. Um, and so there is a role between it but like in terms of the effect on the microbiome we actually don't have a lot of data around that Mm -hmm. one way that you again you see this play out though is around your period Mm -hmm. Um, females around our periods Mm -hmm. (laughs) there might be males listening to this as well (laughs) Um, so a lot of women will find in the week leading up to their period that they get a little bit constipated Mm -hmm. and then as soon as their period hits the bowels like loosen and they get a little bit of like loose stools for a couple of days or maybe even just the day that their period. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. I pick up on that every month and I'm no, glad so it's normal. No, so do I, but I just didn't know it was normal. Yeah. I didn't know it was so actually something that's, proven. That's due to the changes in your hormones and the effects that the hormones are having on your motility within your gut. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Your hormones can um, play a role in your gut. The one thing that I think comes out a lot though is like oral contraceptive pills and like the microbiome and and gut health. And I find this really interesting because I'm not sure where it's actually come from. Mm. There is one paper that was released a couple of years ago and it was looking at oral contraceptive pill and um, inflammatory bowel disease. So Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. And they, what they found was there was um, it was a review study and they found that there was a slight increased risk of, um, oh, actually, I think it was a moderately increased risk of Crohn's disease with long-term um, use of yeah. oral contraceptive pills. They speculated that this was down to potentially a change in the microbiome, but we don't have any data showing when you take an oral contraceptive pill that it changes your microbiome. Like there's mm. no, and so that's not to say that it does or it doesn't. Mm. We actually don't know whether it has an effect on the microbiome or not because there's no data out there mm-hmm. that people have looked at that. So a lot of people freak out that it's, you know, must be terrible for the gut. And I think um, there's, yeah, a lot of uh, people talking about that, like that's, you know. Especially on social media and YouTube. Yes, yes, that it's, it's bad for your gut. There's no data to show that it's bad for your gut. Like I said, it, there is that increased risk of um, Crohn's disease and they don't know why that is. But one thing I question with this is that some of the papers that they used in that review that was published a couple of years ago were from the 60s um, and oral contraceptive pills have changed a lot mm. since then. They were really high estrogen um, back then and they've mm-hmm. actually reduced them down a lot. So whether that's actually even still the case, um, I'm not sure. Mm. So, yeah, it, hormones do affect it. 
as to whether the oral contraceptive pill is making a big difference, there's no data to show whether it is or it isn't, so we can't say. What about the connection between your gut and your immune health? Yes, so the gut plays a big role in immunity um, and the way that this happens is incredibly complex, so I'm not even going to try and explain it, but (laughs) (laughs) it's through lots of different like immune cells and markers and whatnot. Um, But yes, there is a big role in between like the immune system and the gut and one of the reasons is because your gut is an exposed area essentially to lots of foreign bodies because you're eating food and that's a foreign body essentially. It's not part of your um, your makeup, your human makeup. It's food, it's not human. Uh, and so what your gut needs to do is to obviously regulate what's coming in and what's not coming in. Uh, so there is a huge presence of immune cells um, and your immunity can come a lot down to uh, your gut and your gut health as well. So yeah, there is a big role there. Um, and keeping a healthy gut and a healthy microbiome does play a big role in immunity as well. What about what I've, this is what I've heard. I don't know where my source is, so <laughs> please, please help me with this. I've heard that um, a cesarean birth and mm. a natural birth, is that what you call it? Mm, a natural, vaginal birth? Yeah, vaginal birth, yeah. um, That can affect the baby's gut health because when they come out of the vagina, they're coated in um, a certain whatever they quote, the placenta. Did I tell you this? We Maybe I have this? a great source and it's <laughs> you. <laughs> I, I thought, that was, can you talk about that? I thought it was so interesting. Yeah, so that's, and I think to go back a little bit further here is that, so when babies are born, or when babies are in utero, they don't have a microbiome. Um, there is a little bit of research now coming out that maybe they're starting to develop one, um, but if we go back like 12 months, the consensus was they definitely don't have one. They're sterile, essentially, until you birth a child. Um, So their microbiome begins development in infancy and the development of that happens over the next couple of years and it's really critical time to develop the most healthy and diverse microbiome because the changes that we make as an adult are not hugely significant. So the best thing that you can do for a healthy gut is to create a healthy gut when you're an infant, which mm-hmm. is obviously not your own responsibility. <laughs> can you imagine this six, six month old being like, mum, my gut health is important. <laughs> um, but there is a lot of research around um, a vaginal birth and cesarean section. And I am all very cautious of making recommendations around this because obviously there is circumstances where a cesarean section is needed for Mm -hmm. the life of the mother or the child. Um, So I'm not recommending one way or the other, but a vaginal birth does expose the baby to the beneficial bacteria in the um, birth canal, so in the vagina, and it creates a much more diverse microbiome for the baby than a cesarean section. And there was a study that they looked at, like, you know, what bacteria were populating within the infants. And what they found was that within, and I can't remember the exact time frame, but whatever time frame they looked at that baby's um, gut microbiome, and it, I think it was only within a few days or a few weeks or something, uh, the microbiome of the baby that was born um, through a vaginal delivery had similar bacteria to that that was found in the mum's vagina, mm-hmm. whereas the bacteria that was found within the baby of the cesarean section was similar to that that was found um, of what was in the operating room, essentially. So like on like the surgeon's hands and all the gloves and those sorts of things. So it does make a huge difference in terms of the microbiome. But that's not to say that you can't have a healthy, healthy gut. gut. Of course. 
if you've been born from a cesarean section. But it's one of the reasons why they always sort of say and suggest that, you know, the best thing for both mum and bub, if you can have a vaginal birth, is that you should have a vaginal birth. Interesting. The other big thing there is breastfeeding as well. Really? You mm. can go into that? One, two. So breastfeeding um, is, again, similar to the cesarean versus... Some people don't have the choice. Yeah, vaginal. Um, is you, Sometimes you don't have the choice. If you do have the choice and you can breastfeed, then 100% it is so good for the microbiome because essentially what's happening is that the... Um, uh, breast milk is what I'm looking for mm. is full of prebiotics so it's feeding the gut bacteria um, and helping to create that diverse environment as well so it's really really good for the gut um, to breastfeed if you can hmm. cool love learning stuff. I knew I had a reliable source for that it was you <laughs> <laughs> we did mm get a question from Sophie, but it did come up a few times. Top gut health tips to improve your skin or acne. Um, now, I know that there is, you know, a connection um, with diet or hormones when it comes to your skin, but is there one with the gut too? Yeah, there is. And it's, um, it, again, a relatively new concept. It was like posed, I think, like hundreds of years ago as well, like that they thought that the gut was involved in it. And um, there is a relationship there Again, we don't know a lot about what that relationship is and what it looks like. Mm. But again, another really good example of this is with celiac disease. So celiac disease is uh, an intestinal damage, um, essentially prior to diagnosis, obviously. Um, There's intestinal damage. And one of the markers of celiac disease is there's a symptom, a symptom, is that the right word, Mm. Um, of a a rash. Mm -hmm. And that will completely go and clear with healing of the gut through a gluten-free diet. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is absolutely a, um, a skin sort of component and a skin manifestation of some intestinal diseases um, that are, are gastrointestinal diseases. Uh, from an acne perspective, that's a really new area mm. and it's, again, something that we don't have solid research on, but a lot of people do find that when their gut health improves and when their, their microbiome is much more diverse and everything mm. that they are finding that their skin is improving mm-hmm. but we again don't have specific recommendations over you know yeah. eat this exclude this and that means that this will improve your skin and improve your gut mm-hmm. um, and a lot of people are sort of jumping to those conclusions as well again it would come down to like the recommendations that I would give around just how to develop and keep a healthy and diverse microbiome would be what I would say for somebody who had acne Mm -hmm. is to absolutely employ those principles um, and you see what happens in terms of their skin. It should hopefully improve and if it doesn't, then it's not not because of the gut. I think a lot of people want to blame the gut, um, but it's not necessarily always the gut. Mm. Okay. And then you spoke about fibre. What about pre and probiotics? Because there's a few questions again on whether or not there's a difference between, you know, taking um, pre and probiotics in a tablet form or whether having things like kombucha or um, fermented things or anything like that, having it from a food source over that. Is there one better than the other? Is it important, not important? What's the difference between pre and probiotics as well? Yeah, so prebiotics are like the food that feeds the gut bacteria. So they're um, fibre types essentially, mm-hmm. like mostly a fibre source. Uh, and you absolutely don't need to take supplements for that. Mm. You will mm. find them naturally in mm-hmm. so many different foods. So onion, garlic, leeks, mm. um, pistachios, cashews, legumes, 
lentils, oats, <laughs> um, bananas. Like there's so many different foods that you can get prebiotics from. And I'm very much of the principle of food first. So mm-hmm. always trying to get your food, um, sorry, get your nutrients and mm-hmm. um, I guess prebiotics. I'm trying to think what that would fall into, not nutrient, but um, those functional things from foods uh, if you can. Mm. Um, probiotics then are like the live bacteria themselves. Um, probiotics is a bit of a funny word is that it's – funny word? It's not a funny word. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it <laughs> it is a, to be technically called a probiotic, a food needs to have identified strains of certain bacteria. So they need to say like, okay, this product has this strain, this mm. strain and this strain, mm-hmm. and they will provide the gut with this bacteria for this benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of like foods it can't be called probiotics essentially because they haven't identified what the strains are uh, and they don't know what effects that that has on the body or the gut as well. So a lot of the time probiotics means the supplements because that's where mm-hmm. they've sort of selected mm-hmm. the strains and everything. Um, but probiotics are the live bacteria essentially and whether that's from like supplements or fermented foods, um, you can get them from a variety of sources. I think the big one here though is like people think that you need to be taking a probiotic mm. supplement every single day. Yeah, people definitely are under that consumption. Um, oh my God, I'm lost for words today. That <laughs> assumption. Assumption. Yeah. And it's expensive probiotics. Yeah. I know once I was on antibiotics, the doctor told me to get probiotics, probiotics just for a month afterwards and that yeah. was fine. I took them. Yeah. But to be on them, they were, I think, maybe $50 for one jar that lasted me one month. Yeah. Quite a lot to be on that forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, yeah, my suggestion around probiotics is to include fermented and live cultured food on a regular basis. And we're fortunate enough now that there is a lot of different types of that. So it's not just like yogurt like it used to be. We've got like a lot of like kefir and... Um, sauerkraut and kimchi and all of your amazing products as well (laughs) (laughs) Um, so there's a lot of like uh, again I'm not going to say the right word but probiotic like fermented style foods out there Um, even things like um, tempeh I I don't even know if I'm saying that right tempeh I say I I say tempeh you say tempeh (laughs) so would you like some tempeh Surfright. Oh yeah, no, I said tempeh. <laughs> yeah, I said tempeh. Just with the e, hey? You just got to embrace it. We sound so Aussie. Tempeh. Yeah. I wonder where the word originates from. I'm what tempeh? That Japan might help or us. Mm. If it was okay. Anyway, continue. Moving <laughs> on. Um, yeah. So you don't need to be taking a probiotic supplement in order to have a healthy gut. Um, and the thing that what they found with probiotic supplements is that you kind of do need to be quite strain specific with it. Mm-hmm. Like if you're taking it for a certain purpose, what strains are you taking and for what purpose? Like have those strains actually been proven to be beneficial in those mm-hmm. circumstances? So for example, in IBS, there's a couple of strains out there which have shown for some people to be beneficial. So if it's not just about, you know, going to the supermarket and picking up any random yeah. probiotic. It's about looking at, okay, well, you know, if you're taking it for a certain reason, is there evidence for that being beneficial in that situation? And I even say then, like, it's not guaranteed that it's going to be beneficial as well. Mm. For me, I find that, like, probiotics, like, within my clinic and everything, there's such a hit and miss. Like, some people rave about them and say, you know, when I started mm. taking this, it made such a difference. But then other people, it's just like, I just spent... 50 bucks and it, it, nothing changed. 
Um, and I think that's a good point with any supplement as well, unless you're taking it for a medical reason, is if you're not seeing an advantage of doing it, mm. take it out of your diet for a while and see what the difference is. If there's no significant difference, then use your food for like your yeah. your tempeh. <laughs> So what would you say to what would you say to Olivia who said she's confused by recommendations for people to drink things like kombucha or have probiotics in their diet um, and have fiber for good digestion, but then those I'm guessing like herself with IBS aren't meant to have much fiber apparently, and too much of the above can mess it further. She says it's hard to balance those two recommendations. Obviously, they're very different messages. Yes. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. It's like sometimes in IBS, there is a bit of a mixed message there. I would actually argue is that in IBS, fiber is just as important, but you might need to be looking at the different types of fiber. So mm-hmm. you've got your soluble fiber and your insoluble fiber. Um, and so you might need to be looking at like the different types of fiber that you're having. And this is where working with a dietitian who specializes mm-hmm. in this is, is really beneficial because you actually shouldn't be a avoiding a lot of fiber and of the clients that I work with I've never had somebody with IBS who can't still meet the recommendations of fiber provided we're getting it from foods that maybe are like low fermentable so like you know not your high FODMAP foods Mm or um, you know not lots of insoluble fiber which is causing them pain or anything Mm -hmm. like that so you absolutely can still have fiber Uh, some people do find things like kombucha though Mm -hmm. uh, do make them feel quite unwell so Mm -hmm. it's a high FODMAP product essentially Mm. Um, and so some people do find that it does make them you know cramp or feel bloated or Mm -hmm. anything like that and if it doesn't make you feel good then you can absolutely try something else you don't have to have kombucha like Mm -hmm. for example yogurt might be a much more suitable option for somebody like that Mm -hmm. because you can get low FODMAP yogurts Mm. so yeah find other ways you also say kombucha funny. Oh, do I? Yeah. How did you say <laughs> it? How do I say it? Kombucha. Kombucha. Oh. How do you say it? Kombucha. See, and I think mine comes from because <laughs> I say booch, like well, I shorten it to booch, oh, so yes. I feel like I need to then enunciate the ooch. That makes sense. Yeah, because you wouldn't say booch. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. And I think with kombucha or kombucha on that, I think that I have it every day. Yeah, I love can, it. I love it. So I can have so much of it. It doesn't do anything. I can drink a mm. liter of it, and it doesn't do anything to my tummy. Like I, I can don't feel sick or anything. Yeah, and everyone's different, but I find for me, it's just a really, it's a better alternative. Not that I was a soft drink drinker; I wasn't drinking a liter a day. But it's kind of for me. I'm like, I feel like something sweet. bubbly and sweet, yeah. and it's a good alternative as long as it doesn't have a lot of added sugar in it. Yeah, I agree. I hundred percent agree. And I think with like those fermented foods, it's best to include them like as on a regular basis if you can um, because the the other really interesting thing I found when I first learned this um, a few years ago is that when you're having like live like probiotics or something like that is it's actually not residing within your gut mm-hmm. so they're providing like transient benefits as they go through so a lot of the time so like if we think of a supplement example is when you take that supplement the bacteria that's in there it doesn't like go into your bowel and then like hop into <laughs> your bowel and just like stay there and live there. It doesn't actually change the community that you have permanently residing. It's just providing like a flow through benefit. So as you know, you're eating and whatnot, the time that it's spent in your gut, that's when it's giving you the benefit. So you, you end up essentially pooing out. So I, I got rid of $50 worth of probiotics. Yeah, but it's probably provided you a benefit. So, again, it, it would have provided you with a benefit at the time. But then it went away. Yeah, but most but gut- you might have a healthy gut, so you don't necessarily need it there, whereas you only needed it for that time because you were taking the, the antibiotics. antibiotics. Yep, yeah, just to combat, like, what was going on there. Um, again, it's all sort of new research, so 
we don't know. Mm. But the interesting thing is that some people find that they their gut can recover just as well from antibiotics as you know, as it was before, like it's gone mm. completely back to normal without a probiotic. Mm. Other people find that it doesn't recover as much. So they've done a bit of research on that and it's just completely different from person to person. So one person will have antibiotics and their gut is just destroyed mm. and another person will have antibiotics and there's no difference, like no change to their gut. So it's, it's, yeah, it's really hard to sort of be specific around recommendations with that. But I think when you are having antibiotics, it's worthwhile having probiotics or at least mm. upping your fermented foods and like yogurt and those sorts of things. So interesting. And even when I was a kid, when I was, I think when I was between, it was either one and three and or two and four, I was on antibiotics for two years straight mm. because something in my, some valve was missing. So I kept getting bladder infections, like really bad. When you I was had a, a lot kid. of, you know I did. Really I was like, I was like a bubble kid. But you had a lot of allergies and stuff. You were just saying before, yes. and so that to me, like, that puts like things together as well. Well, there you go. I was lactose intolerant, um, nut anaphylactic, and then I had yeah two years on antibiotics because yeah. my and valve asthma? didn't. Oh, and I've still got really bad asthma. Yeah, and I think my mum ate so many nuts when she had me in her, as well as a lot of, like a lot of dried apricots, which is really high in sulfate. Mm. So I don't know if that passed on to me, but yeah, I was a little bubble Bubble kid. Bubble kid. And maybe that's why. And there's actually like research out there about like um, germaphobes and uh, low diversity of your microbiome as well. So if you're like disinfecting your house, somebody who's like massive germaphobe, Mm. disinfects everything, has low microbiome diversity compared to somebody who doesn't. Mm -hmm. Um, And things like puppies and dogs actually increase microbiome diversity because you're getting like more germs and everything on you. So yeah, being in a bubble is not necessarily great for your gut. There you Mm. go. Well, there you go. And talking about people with the IBS symptoms. Yes. So Laura has, not you, Laura, different (laughs) different Laura, has asked how she can deal with severe symptoms IBS symptoms to keep going despite the pain and everything. Yeah. So if you're in pain, like definitely reach out and to somebody who is a qualified professional mm. in this area, because you need to work with somebody to find out what, what it is. is for you that's causing that. Um, the first sort of things that I work through with people is looking at, like I said before, like the different types of fiber, are they getting enough? Are they having excessive amounts of fiber? Um, and that fiber type just to make sure that we've got it right. Obviously fluid and stress is something else that I sort of consider on that first mm-hmm. um, that first line sort of therapy. Um, then something like the low FODMAP diet can be a useful thing to try as a temporary um, uh, a temporary diet to address, you know, and find out what sort of foods are triggering some of those symptoms as well. Mm-hmm. And while we're on that, just general bloating. I think this is something, and, and Laura, you said it before, I think it's something that we have to accept happens with our body and it's not always a bad thing. I know you've spoken out about it before on mm-hmm. online about, you know, bloating can be completely normal. It doesn't always mean that there's something wrong with your body or your gut. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think that there's been a lot of pathologizing of normal symptoms um, now that the gut has become like such a hot topic. Mm. It's like we're all sort of coming out and being like, oh, well, I get a bit of bloating or like I don't go to the bathroom every single day or mm. my fart smells sometimes. <laughs> like, <laughs> that means that I've got like all of these problems. Um, and it's it's not a problem unless it's causing significant impact on your life. Like it's causing you pain and those sorts of things and it's happening on a regular basis because we all have fluctuations mm. in our bowels, in our bloating, in our smell of our gas and those sorts of things as well. Like there's always going to be change and we can't expect there to be a constant, um, you know, 
I'll go every single day. And some people might go every single day and that's mm-hmm. just how their body works. But mm-hmm. you can't expect it to be constant because there are so many things that are at play with the gut that, you know, you might have a bad night's sleep or a stressful day and that's going to change your gut. like, And that can actually make your gut like a little bit more leaky mm-hmm. and cause you a little bit of like loose stools or mm-hmm. it could be the stress or the anxiety that's causing loose stools or... Mm-hmm. Um, it could be a period or, you know, there's so many different things that play into the way that our gut functions. And I think there is like a lot of over pathologizing of normal things and like eating causes bloating mm. sometimes for mm. some people, like yeah. depending on, like if you eat a large meal, it's got to go somewhere. Like yeah. <laughs> it, it's going to expand. And I think that one thing is like with a lot of people who are, of like a low body weight or a low body fat percentage is that they freak out that they're getting bloated after their meals. And the lower your body weight is and the lower your body fat percentage is, the less like space you've got to disperse. <laughs> yeah. Like the less, the less it's not going to hide anywhere essentially yeah. mm-hmm. is that when you eat a big meal, it's going to show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a, a, a big um an example of this would be like in recovery from eating disorders. It's mm-hmm. a really common thing that people complain about digestive discomfort and recovery from like anorexia and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And it can be a real barrier to overcoming mm-hmm. anorexia because people think that they can't reintroduce foods or they, they have to limit like gluten and dairy and all of these their stomachs. Yeah, because their stomach's bloating. And there's, there's so many things at play there. It's like your stomach shrunk so much from potentially years of restricting that mm. you're at that low body weight you've been excluding foods for a long period of time that you haven't had and your gut's mm. just not used to them yet um so there's a lot of that uh pathologizing of things that are nor- within the normal spectrum of what's going on mm. interesting but i like that it took me a long time to realize things like bloating and everything didn't mean that there was something wrong with me Mm. So I think it's really important because that's another issue that comes up all the time. No matter what, we're asking girls for questions to send in. Bloating comes up mm. without a doubt every time. And I think people just need to know and understand that it's not always an issue or a bad thing. It's not always a red flag. It's just a total normal part of life. Unless, as you said, it's so regular and extremely and discomfort. Yeah. yeah, And I think that a lot of people want a uh, a supplement to fix it. Mm-hmm. And what I found is that one of the best ways, and I've spoken about this multiple times before, to actually help with bloating is to chew your food mm-hmm. properly. A lot of people underestimate the power of chewing because what chewing actually does, it's like the first stage of digestion. So if you're not physically chewing and breaking down your food, essentially from there, you don't have a lot of other physical digestion happening. Like you've got a bit of churning and whatnot in your stomach, but a lot of the rest of your digestion mm. is chemical digestion. And if you've got, if you haven't chewed food properly, essentially you've got larger particles of food moving through your digestive tract and the large particles of food can't be absorbed into your bloodstream because they're particles of food. They're not you know, on the molecular level. Um, and so then they go into your gut and into the where the microbiome will then ferment them. And so that fermentation produces gas Mm. and that's normal essentially because that's what the gut's supposed to do. It's supposed to break down things that have not been digested. Mm -hmm. But if you had just chewed better before you swallowed, Mm. you potentially will have alleviated that. And I am always surprised when I work with clients and I give this recommendation of chewing your food properly because in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, will this really make a big difference? Like it's just chewing. And every time I send somebody away and say, 
I know this sounds really mm. stupid and really simple, but please just really focus on chewing. And so when I say this, I sort of give a recommendation of like 15 to 20 chews per mouthful or like until everything's like really smooth in your mouth um, before you swallow. I've had people come back and say that they've had seven years of bloating mm. that has just completely gone within a month mm. because they've stopped to actually eat their food properly. I'm like, I feel so stupid because all I had to do was eat the food. So I always say don't underestimate the power of it. A lot of people are like, oh, I chew. I'm like, but do you? Like actually sit down and count how many chews and actually see whether you're chewing till you – because I probably don't. I I never pay attention to how much I chew. Mm -hmm. It's just not what we do. Like we're too busy thinking Mm -hmm. about other things or scrolling through our phones or whatever when we're eating. Um, And simply just chewing our food can make such a difference. That's probably the most valuable bloating advice I've ever heard. I think that, like, especially when I had a really bad relationship with food, I used to just watch. And it's probably also, for most YouTubers, it's like their most watched YouTube video. Because it's five. It to everybody. Yeah, and it's like clickbait. It's like everyone wants yeah. to stop bloating. Five ways to combat bloating. And it's like drink water with lemon, like all these yeah. things. But I've no one ever said, like, that's such good advice. Yeah. And there's, like, like I said, there's such a sound reason behind why it does it. And the other thing is because it's the first stage of digestion, when you're chewing food, it's sending signals to your stomach yeah. that the food's coming. Yeah. And so your stomach starts preparing by releasing more of like the hydrochloric acid and like the digestive enzymes. So if you're just swallowing your food without chewing it properly, the enzymes aren't even there yet. Like they're not ready to go. Mm. So you're actually having a worse digestive experience as well because haven't given your body the time to sort of catch up with what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And if like for the girls out there who it's not their time of the month or anything and they're just feeling bloated and it's not directly after they've finished a meal um, or even within the half an hour that, you know, it would be normal to feel bloated after eating a big meal. What is there anything that anyone can do to feel a little bit better or to reduce the bloating at all once you're bloated yeah like yeah. if it is actually like a, a not super discomfort uh, nothing super uncomfortable like IBS or anything but bloating past the point of okay I ate like an hour yeah. ago what's going on so yeah when when you're bloated one of the reasons why some people do get bloated is because it's the gas is not moving through the digestive tract yeah. Um, properly Mm -hmm. and so it's essentially not releasing it's getting caught up there and it's just not moving along so um, walking and yoga can be really really effective in terms of helping like that motility and the movement of gas along Um, maybe not a yoga class because you might have some release of gas (laughs) (laughs) Um, which you may not want to do within a class Uh, but yeah those sorts of things can be really beneficial to help move the gas along outside of that there's nothing you can sort of take that will sort of get rid of bloating it's sort yeah. of a bit of a waiting game but the other thing is like meditation can be quite useful um mm. again because if it's like through a stress response where um your digestive tract is sort of altered by reducing your stress you can sort of get that digestive relax tract, your body <laughs> yeah relaxed and then allow that movement to happen as well to help that gas clear mm. interesting well, I hope that's answered everyone's questions. It certainly answered a lot of mine. Um, and thank you again for coming on and My sharing pleasure. your wisdom with us. My pleasure. I love talking about gut health, so anytime. And <laughs> you do talk about it a lot. So if anyone ever wants to hear more from Marika, particularly on this subject, but anything really, make sure you um, head over to her page because I love how open and honest you are with not just gut health, but like anything that's kind of the hot topic of the moment. Thank you. Hmm. But thanks for listening, guys. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed that chat with Marika. 
um, you can always reach out to her. She really loves talking to you guys. So anyone in the community that has any more questions, you can find her on her Instagram and we'll make sure that's in the show notes. But now, Lozzy, it is time for question of the week. And I'm going to read it out as always, but definitely today because you sound like some sort of dinosaur. Um, Okay, this one is from Katie GP. GB. Katie GB. What are your favourite makeup products? Uh, You know, I have so many. It's just hard to get them all out. Okay, maybe I'll start. Okay. (laughs) By the way, that was sarcastic. Um. So I suppose I'd like to point out that I've been really lucky. I've been able to um, test quite a few products out there. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we're in a fortunate position that we we do get sent some stuff. But something that I tend to keep buying myself because I love it so much is the Charlotte Tilbury um, foundation. Yeah, it's super light weight, which I really like because half the time I wear matte foundation, it's really just to darken my face so mm. that it matches my body. Um, but I like that. And then the Clinique... It mascara is still my favorite mascara yeah. out of anything. I just love that you don't need makeup um, remover to get rid of it; just warm water, um, and it doesn't smudge oh, yeah, when I you work out. That. Yeah, I just know it. No, I always I wear that every time if yeah. we have a workout event or something. Yeah, because it doesn't smudge, but it comes off with warm water. <gasps> and then what else would I say? Bronzer, um, bronzer wise. I change that up all the time. I really like the new um, glow light, the pearl one by Bono Sense. I've got a highlighter um, trio now and one of them is called Pearl Lights, the glow lights, and I, I really like that. So, But that, that's probably it. And I don't really use a lot. We love what? the fluff. It's all fluff bronzer. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. It's I a like, great brand. I like it because you can um, you can find it in your bag. It's like the heaviest thing in my makeup bag, so it's, I always know where it is. And if you do want to check, we that brand is so cool. We've spoken mm. to Erica um, before, mm. who is the founder of it, and it's all about. It, it's called it's all fluff. Mm. So it's kind of all about that. Like making a joke on the makeup, yeah, line of and stuff. And they don't yeah. sell foundation, so it's all about kind of just enhancing like, mm. what you have and natural and yeah. And as nice I said, the um, product is really really cute. Yeah, that's a good one. What else do I like? I like the same foundation, same foundation as you. I also like the luminous silk one. Mm. Sometimes I use that, but it's a bit heavier, so I only use that if I'm going out. Mm. Uh, and I just you mean Armani. Oh yeah, Armani. What did I not even say the you brand? Didn't even say the brand. <laughs> <laughs> At least I know the name. Luminous silk. And in the day, so I'm like, I usually just wear. I just love the Garnier BB cream. I've yeah. used that my whole life, pretty much. So yeah. that's a good one. And I use the medium one. It makes me look a bit more tanned because <laughs> I need it uh, to match my body. Mm. Want a fake tan? And I like cream. I mean, I use all different brands, but I like cream blush. Cream blush. Yeah. What is that? Oh, as it's in, sorry, a cream-based blush, <laughs> not a powder-based blush. I thought it was a cream-coloured blush. You're like, that's not Yeah, I know. I was like, oh, I don't know how that would look on you. A cream yeah. blush that does like the opposite of what, anyway, what you meant was a cream base. So as yeah. in creamy, not. I'm pretty sure people say, not guys, powder. hit me up if it's normal to say cream blush. Or a cream-based bl- brush. Yeah, please blush. tell us. Oh, tell God, us what's better. Untalk. And I think we should stop torturing you with my voice because I feel really bad and you probably like turn I also off. feel like neither of us know n- nothing about makeup, so we should probably stop talking but about we makeup. we are going to do a YouTube tutorial soon. I'm going to do Seth's makeup, which is my dream. <sighs> and I'm going to do Lozzie's. I'm going to do it for a wedding. Uh, <laughs> she's not doing it for my wedding. I'm not looking forward to this YouTube video, but yes, that's coming soon. And as always, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Um, We will be back next week. We are back every Wednesday. Very excited for next week's guest. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. And um, we'll see you next week. Love you guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.